podcasting today from Kansas City, Missouri. This is the Wired Women in Real Estate Development podcast where women share their stories and their journeys through real estate investing and focus on educating and empowering a strong community of women. And I'm your host, Nusheen Shalari. So today we have Elizabeth Beck. She is not in Kansas City, but she brings a lot of really rich expertise. She actually lives in Michigan, and it's a pleasure to have her on. She's an engineer, a consultant, and a real estate investor who has a really fresh perspective to share about what does it look like to have a W-2 with real estate and how to do it with grace and why she did it to begin with in the first place. She's a really close friend of mine and mentor and motivator throughout my career. Um, And it just brings me a lot of joy to have her in my life and what her involvement and her, her insights are going around not only Michigan for her properties, but also in Texas and California. She's kind of hitting a few different markets and to see her insights. Elizabeth, if you want to introduce yourself and let us know how we can get in contact if we have any questions at the end. Well, thanks. You know, that was a super generous introduction. So like, I really don't know how to follow that, even though it was an introduction about myself, but it was also pretty thorough. So, you know, I only want to kind of add a few things, you know, you mentioned my mechanical engineering background. So I am a mechanical engineer, but I also have my MBA to kind of help round out my education. And then in addition to that, and in addition to being a real estate investor and a full-time consultant, I'm also a mom to two wonderful little girls, ages four and six. And if your listeners want to contact me, they are more than welcome to on LinkedIn. And I know uh, Wired Casey has an awesome LinkedIn page also. So um, you can get a hold of me through there. And I look forward to having more conversations with folks through this podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It's, it's really great to have you on. And so you, so you've been a real estate investor for years now. And when we were kind of talking on one of our work touch points, actually, we said, why did you invest in real estate? And you kind of said, you know, I wanted to be successful in my career, but I also wanted to have freedom. So I want to, I want to kind of ask you if you could share with us that journey of what does your day job look like? And then how you even got involved with real estate investing in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I'm happy to, Nusheen. Um, you know, for my day job, uh, you know, and I hope your listeners can sense the air quotes I put around day job. Um, I am a consultant who specializes in digital transformations of supply chains, focused um, primarily in the life science industry. You know, but of course, in the eyes of my six-year-old daughter, uh, all I do is I sit on my computer on Zoom calls all day, and so that's that's how she perceives the work I do. It's it kind of a, a little bit of an interesting story. How I got involved in real estate um, back in 2007. And I know everyone's doing some math now on my age, but back in 2007, before the housing bubble burst, I was at the point in my life where, you know, you're supposed to buy a house and, you know, and as, as millennials, and I'm sure there's other millennials who, who are in the same position, that's not always an easy thing to do. And it was really difficult to do in LA before the housing bubble burst. So, um, you know, my boyfriend and I had been together quite a while. He is now my husband. So there's a happy ending there. Um, but we were living out in Los Angeles before the bubble burst. We could not afford a home in Los Angeles. So we were renting a place and, and, you know, we enjoyed 
started renting and everything. But we thought, you know, we had a, a little bit of money sitting in the bank and we were like, oh, we're at the point where, you know, we could invest more into our 401ks, but do we really want to do that? And, it, you know, instead we said, you know, we, we looked and did some research into diversifying our portfolio. And so we, we did some research kind of all around the United States and, and you know, made strategic a strategic decision to buy a house, an affordable house in a suburb of Houston as our first rental property back in 2007. So it was really born out of not being able to afford a house for us to live in ourselves, um, but instead kind of offset some of the rent we're paying with the rent we were bringing in from that rental property. So, Whoa, how did you get the skills to even do this type of real estate or even manage a property? Um, so if you could speak a little bit about how your skills from your day job relate to what you do in the real estate world and how you kind of balance everything. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, so getting into it, you know, we, we read a lot of books, we talked to a lot of people, um, you know, you do all the things kind of any, any self learner tends to do. Right. Um, and so we did all that. We, we ran a lot of projections, you know, we looked at a lot of different houses for that first house, you know, and again, like I said, made a lot of strategic decisions at that point. Um, so, so, that's kind of how we got into it and how we built up. And then from there, it was just, we bought more and more and more houses. And that's how we grew our experience. Um, relative to how the skills in my day job relate to what I do in real estate, um, it, it's kind of interesting because part of what I enjoy about the work I do in real estate is that it's kind of different than what I do in my day job. Um, but both are things that I enjoy. Um, so, you know, and, and it's also interesting because my husband and I kind of swap roles relative to our W-2 job. So both he and I have a W-2 job. Um, and in my job, I'm constantly interfacing with clients. So I'm constantly on meetings, you know, constantly in the in the depths of, of helping, helping my clients and those interpersonal skills and all of that good stuff. My husband's W-2 job, he writes software tools, um, you know, so he's in front of a computer writing software tools. For real estate, we kind of assumed opposite roles. We like to, we like to manage our real estate portfolio our, ourselves. It's just a personal preference that, that we have. And we think that's part of our kind of our competitive advantage relative to our relationships with our tenants. Um, and so what we decided was we divided and conquered. Um, so he does all of the, like the dealing with the tenants and the repairs and kind of all of that, that interfacing, finding new tenants, finding new houses, all of that kind of stuff. And it allows me to kind of sit and not, not have to talk to people and just <laughs> sit back and do the bookkeeping and the financial reporting, which, you know, being an engineer, I went into engineering because I, I, I love math. Right. And so like, it allows me to stretch that muscle where, you know, my day job, you know, need, needs me to use my emotional intelligence a lot. Um, so it allows me to kind of flex that math muscle a little bit more. And so, so that's, that's kind of really what I enjoy about it, but it's really, you know, being able to kind of coexist and having both of those worlds exist together is, is, is really fulfilling for me. Right. Exactly. And I'll share a little bit of a story. My husband and I, when we first got into real estate, we were reading all the books, watching all of the podcasts, but what was really difficult was understanding, you know, what do we even begin to invest in when we buy? We would hear all of these, you know, podcasters talk about how they bought a big 26 unit and they partnered with a bunch of people and they, 
you know, did a syndication and put money together. But we thought that was a really big feat to handle being, you know, first time in the industry, never doing this, this before. So I wanted to ask you, what type of real estate do you invest in and why you do it? Yeah. So fantastic question. And I, you know, I, I share some of, some of your thoughts, right. Is the, the kind of the way, the way we got started again was with single family properties and we actually stick with single family properties. And, and here's kind of the way I talked myself into it, right. Is, you know, I'm at the point in my life where I should be able to buy a house. Right. And, and buying a house doesn't seem like a monumental task um, because people do it all the time. I'm buying one house, you know, like, like, yeah, we, we can do that. That, and that's a bite-sized chunk. So it's like, eating the elephant in bite-sized chunks. And so um, we started with single family homes and we continue to just buy more and more and more single family homes. And so again, that's something manageable. You know, we've talked about that strategy of, you know, trading in some homes for an apartment complex or moving into commercial real estate and things like that. And, and, you know, again, we come back to, we, we kind of enjoy the single family homes. And so that's why we kind of keep coming back to it. Why choose single family homes? Yeah. Yeah. And, And there's different philosophies. So there's like not a right answer here, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, but, but, but we, we stick with single family homes because the way we look at it is um, you can cut your maintenance costs a lot by moving to multifamily, multifamily homes, right? Because it's usually like one roof. It might be slightly bigger, but it's one roof and it's, you know, one this. You might have multiple kitchens and stuff like that, but but it cuts that maintenance costs. But it does increase, again, that interfacing with the tenants. We like being able to do that and we want to stay being able to do that. So when you have a single family home, instead of having four different groups of tenants where you have to manage all of them or pay someone else to manage all of them, should you choose to, you know, we choose to manage them ourselves. Um, and, and, you know, we can work with that family and really get to know that, that family or that couple or that person or, or what, you know, whoever's living in that house. And so it's, it's also a matter of developing that relationship. We, I, you know, I, I slipped and said families because we do end up getting a lot of families because, you know, we, we target neighborhoods with, with pretty good schools, you know, such that, people are attracted to move into the neighborhood and they they're looking for longer leases, um, which is also nice from our standpoint, because we're turning over the house less often and we have less vacancies. Um, so, you know, families who have kids in school, you know, we don't necessarily look for, but is, is definitely, you know, makes up a, our constituency a great deal. We also, you know, are kind of known for working with the tenants to figure out ways to kind of keep them in their houses as well. Um, so a lot of times, you know, we have people who who have jobs and who have good jobs, but they either went through a divorce and their credit got hit, or you know they had credit card debt, or they have student loan debt, or or any any number of things that put them in a position where they can't necessarily be approved for a house uh, to buy a house themselves. But that doesn't mean that they can't afford the rental payment that they have, um, which you know sometimes and oftentimes is higher than the mortgage payment. And so they might have a harder time having the consistency of that paying. And so we like to work with them, you know, to provide flexible arrangements in terms of, oh, you know, you want to pay every week instead of every month and that kind of thing. Yeah, we're okay with that kind of thing. But again, it all comes down to the relationship with the tenants and then, you know, having that open channel of communication. Right. And I think that's so important too, is developing that relationship with them and saying, you know, we're actually here to support you and we actually care about you. And you're not just yeah. unit 204 um, right. in a building. And kind of, 
I think when you, even when you do eventually go into bigger buildings, if you, you have that same perspective that you bring and you really build that care and that um, collaboration, that trust with your tenants, even in those bigger buildings, because you've had that experience to go back to. Yeah, no, that's a great point. When it comes comes down to it, you know, we're, we're very, we're very fortunate, right? And, and, and I acknowledge that there is a certain amount of privilege that has gotten me to where I am. And, and I'm totally acknowledging of that. It's what do you do with it, right? And so um, we, we could change some things up and get to the point where if I wanted to be a stay at home mom, you know, we could, we could make that work, but I, you know, I choose to keep my job and we choose to keep the rental properties. And we really do for, for three primary reasons. Um, the first is that, you know, the same reason we got into it is it's a good way to diversify our net worth. Um, and so, you know, our, our net worth is balanced between our own retirement, you know, traditional IRAs and Roth IRAs and all that kind of stuff um, between that and then our, our real estate that, that we hold. Um, in addition to that, we also diversify our cash flow sources. Um, you know, so just cash coming in on a monthly basis. We get the rent checks and we get, you know, we get our salaries. And so, so that works out pretty well. And then, you know, it comes down to doing what you enjoy. After I had my first daughter, my husband and I, you know, had a, had a talk and I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to want to go back to work because I don't know what it's like being a mom, right? Um, I've never been a mom before. And so I might not want to go back to work. And so we talked about it and everything and what we would do in contingency and things like that. Um, and then, you know, after I had my daughter, you know, I, I love both of my daughters very, very dearly. Um, but I also like having my career. And so I wasn't ready to give that up for my daughters. Um, and I, and, and, uh, you know, and, and I don't need to give it up relative to the real estate either. And so I kind of get the best of both worlds there. That's awesome. And it's, it's so great to be able to have that kind of the ability, you know, to say, yes, I would like to work instead of saying, oh, I have to work to be able to sustain my life. I think that's the kind of freedom that you can gain. And so I wanted to ask, you did mention your two daughters. And I don't think, you know, as women, we think that's a small feat. I mean, there's obviously <laughs> a lot of time that goes into raising children. Um, so how do you manage your W-2 job with your real estate time-wise and kind of juggle all those priorities? Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a good it's a good question, right? And it's like the million dollar question too. So so really it comes down to to three things. Um, it comes down to prioritization, to delegation, and to efficiency. Um, you know, and, and so I look at it relative to those three dimensions. Relative to prioritization, I look at it from you know what's important versus urgent. And I, I do this with everything. I do it with my W-2 work, I do it with real estate work, I do it with my daughters, right? Um, so what's important versus what urgent, what's urgent. Um, you know, most of the work I need to do for my consulting job is both important and urgent, right? I have a client meeting that is important and it's urgent because if I, I have to take that meeting at that time. Um, but, but some of what I do for real estate is important, but not urgent. So, you know, it can, it could wait till 8 PM that night, you know, or it can wait till weekends, you know, or it could wait till the next day kind of thing. Um, so this helps me kind of allocate my work appropriately. The second lens I look at, uh, is through how my time can be best Spent. And so this speaks to delegation. You know, my I can, I'm the only one who can do my W two job, right? That's what they they pay me to do my job, not pay me to delegate my job to someone else. So that's not an option for delegation. 
depending on one's level of comfort, they can delegate more than what we actually delegate of the work that they do on their real estate. So you can get, you know, rental property managers and things like that. You know, you can delegate some of that work that, that I, that my husband and I do. And so that, that option is on the table. And again, we, you know, we talk about that from a strategic decision standpoint, um, constantly, are, are we doing the right things? But I will admit that I am the first one to delegate like routine household work, like mowing the lawn and cleaning the house. Like I don't get anything out of that personally. And so I have no problem delegating to someone else. So, um, and then through the third lens, it's really efficiency. So, and I think this comes from my engineering background, right? How can I make things more efficient? And so, you know, a, a lot of my project work that I do in consulting is, you know, is, is helping my clients be more, more efficient. And so that, that's, that's a nice marriage right there. Um, and then with the rental property stuff, you know, I'm always looking for like the latest and greatest tool or, you know, a, a different way of thinking about something or how can I automate our models or things, things like that. And, and so, you know, it's always asking the question, how can I make the time I'm spending more efficient? How can I get more bang for that buck? Awesome. I love that. And I don't know if you mind sharing a couple quick tips and tricks that you've learned along the way. Yeah, no, no problem at all. Um, one thing I do is I ask, you know, is this a want or a need? And I think oftentimes we get those two confused. So is it something I want to be this way or is it something I need to be this way? If it's truly a need, then 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 that decision's over, right? You got to do it and you got to figure it out. If it's a want, then say is, is there something I want more than this? And so it's always about those trade-offs, right? Um, an example is in my free time, and I'm doing air quotes again, because there's no such thing as free time, but I, I, I like to run. I, you know, I'm not a good runner. I'm, I'm not fast, but, but I like to do it. And I like to do it for more for the mental health benefits, actually, than the physical health benefits. But I always make sure that it's a run that I want to do and that I'm enjoying it, because ultimately that's not time that I'm spending with my daughter it's not time that I'm spending sleeping, which is also a big priority for me. Um, it's not time I'm spending at my job, right? And so making sure that should I choose to do something that isn't some of those other things that I'm, I'm making that quality time. Right. And so about that quality time, what has real estate allowed you to kind of enjoy as a mother of two young girls? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's a great question. Um, honestly, the biggest thing that comes to mind is something you mentioned earlier, which is it, it's allowed me to take more risks, both in my W-2 job, as well as in real estate than I perhaps otherwise could and um, benefited by those risks because they've largely paid off. The diversity in my income portfolio, um, you know, when when one of the two is not performing, like we, you know, or, or one house is not performing, like we'd wanted to for whatever reason, you know, we're ever able to better weather those storms and to continue, you know, for me to provide for my family. And so I have found that I am, I'm a better version of myself when I'm not constantly living in fear of having a house repossessed or, or having, or losing my job. Right. Um, because I know at the end of the day, you know, we'll, we'll make things work. And so that, that allows me to be a better version of myself. Okay. Awesome. Awesome, Elizabeth. I just love hearing about every how you prioritize things, how you're kind of thinking um, through everything. And so 
I wanted you to walk us through a little bit of like what your specific journey was through real estate. So how did you grow from one house to now your full 10 to 14 units I know that you own and kind of what was the progress and the journey along that? Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, we, we bought that first single family home, you know, in a, in a suburb of Texas. And that worked out really well for us, even though we bought kind of on top of the bubble. Um, it was still a positive cash flow, you know, vehicle for us. And again, we were still living in California at the time. So we lived out there for 12 years. So we were still in a position to where we weren't quite ready to buy a house in California. So we kept growing our portfolio in, in Texas. We ended up having, we, we have six houses kind of in that it's a big neighborhood, but in that neighborhood, it's kind of, funny because once you kind of have a couple houses, one of the houses we got through word of mouth. So we had a rental property and then the tenants in that property were talking to the neighbors next door and the neighbors next door are like, Hey, we're thinking of selling our house. And they were like, Oh, well, you should talk to our landlords because they buy houses in this neighborhood. And so, you know, we, we kind of get inside on some of these things. Um, another one was we, we had a family member moving out of the neighborhood. And so, you know, we said, Hey, well, we'll take your, your house off your hands for you if you want. And so, so that's how we got an another house. Um, then we also have one house out in California. That was the house we ended up buying for ourselves and living in for quite some time. It's interesting because we started off by renting it and then our tenant or our landlords wanted to sell the house. And we said, Hey, before you put it on the market, you know, maybe we'll buy it kind of thing. And we were already living in it. Um, so that was, that was kind of interesting. Um, so, so we bought that house. And then when we moved back to Michigan, we converted that into a rental. Um, and then we have a, a couple of houses out here in Michigan that we, we've gotten. Um, sometimes we'll buy the house for a personal reason. It's in a location that, you know, that's strategic for us personally. Um, you know, I've heard the, the adage never, you know, never buy a rental property that you wouldn't live in yourself kind of thing. And so, um, you know, we look, we look for houses that have, have an added personal benefit. Um, so it's, you know, close to a family member, or in some cases, you know, we have a family member who, you know, who may need a place to stay for either a temporary period or for a longer period. And so, you know, we'll look to help them out. Uh, another, another thing we do is sometimes we get multiple good tenants on one house and, you know, we say, Hey, value in good tenants. And so we'll look to say, Hey, maybe we'll work and buy a house that you can then rent. And so that's happened for us also. So we've kind of gone about it different ways, which is why, why we're in <laughs> Texas and California and Michigan. Um, you know, but there's, there's kind of a reason for every, every house there's value in every house for us. That's amazing. Elizabeth, thank you for sharing that journey. I think that at least for me, that really helped me kind of think about how do, how do I even scale and grow and like look for that next house after you get the first one under your belt? Um, I think that's really important, you know, to tr start to talk to the neighbors and build relationships in your communities, not just in your local community, but wherever you have those investments that do exist, spending time out there, talking to people, actually getting to know them. And that's where your next deal might come from. So I think that's great. I do want to wrap up with our final question um, that I always ask. So what unique impact do you as a woman feel that you can have in real estate? 
Yeah, no, great question. When I think about this, I'm one of those people who think, well, well you know, a, a woman can do anything a man can do. So then how could something a woman could do be be unique? And, and really what I think it comes down to is it inevitably comes back to being a positive role model for other women and young ladies, you know, in an industry where quite frankly, I feel we're underrepresented. And it, that's the case for engineers. That's also the case in, in real estate investing. And so, you know, especially when I look to my my daughters. I, I want them to consider diversifying the vehicles that hold their net worth, diversifying their sources of cash flow, and ultimately, you know, being more financially independent. And so, you know, I hope, I hope that I'm setting a good example for them. And I'm hoping, you know, that the people who we get to talk to, we get to talking about it. I hope, you know, that we can continue these conversations because that's really how, how we grow our representation in the industry. I love that. And Elizabeth, you've definitely been a mentor and an influence on me personally. So I just want to wrap up uh, by saying thank you so much for joining us for this episode, Elizabeth. And thank you everyone for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to write us, our email address is wiredkcpodcast at gmail.com. And I want to just thank our founders, Audrey and Cheryl of Wired KC. And I'm Nushin Shalara, and you've been listening to the Wired KC podcast.